Welcome to The Revolution on an Inform Life Radio, uh, 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to CHDTV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. We are here again. We're like three years into this, uh, this show of ours. I should count out how many. I guess when we get to 500 or something, we'll do a celebration. I lost track of how many shows we've had. I'm so glad to still be here. Free speech is not only alive and well, but hey, let's bring on Dr. Javier Figueroa, who's joining me. Hey, so, you know, I, I lately I've been talking about free speech at the opening of the show because, you know, wow, we're on exactly. AM radio, <clears throat> we're talking the talk, we can say words like remdesivir, which we'll be talking about this first hour, um, and being critical and uh, masks don't work. We can say all of that free speech here. <laughs> but, you know, the 4th of July, that judge, uh, that federal judge telling the uh, the White House and the federal government that shame on you, that is the worst violation of free speech in American history. Yes. And um, wow. So didn't it just give you hope that we're going to restore this great nation of ours? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, no. That's 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 one one less domino to, to push over, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I've missed you, Javier. How have you been? I have been enjoying myself, but also working pretty hard uh, at my uh, my day job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, good for you. Good for you. Um, I wanted to share before we bring on our guest. I'm going to share with you kind of the beginning of this because she's an attorney, and we're going to be talking about remdesivir lawsuit. So let's kind of go back to the beginning here. I want to show with you, um, show you the, um, this here, this science, mainstream magazine, science.org in 2020 said the, the title of the article was Sunshine. The very, very bad look of remdesivir, the first FDA approved COVID-19 drug. So from the get go, there was bad news about the remdesivir drug, about the failed clinical trials, about concerns of its use, that sort oh, yeah. of thing, right? Oh, yeah. Right from the very beginning. <clears throat> and then um, let me show you another one, a recent one. I mean, I could we could spend hours oh, just going absolutely. over all the mainstream and alternative news, which I want to flip that. We're, we should be mainstream and they're alternative because... They're well, not real journalists anymore. They're just there, there's independent news and then there's corporate news. Let's put it that. Way. Oh, I like that split. Independent yeah. corporate news. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to adopt that. Um, so then brownstone.org is the independent news um, that I really like. And here they've got a recent post from May of 2023 titled why are hospitals still using remdesivir <laughs> so i'm gonna um i'm gonna read you just the first paragraph nobody believes in remdesivir anymore how can you possibly make a case for it remdesivir is so lethal it got nicknamed quote That's run death is near after it started killing thousands of COVID patients in the hospital the experts claim that remdesivir would stop COVID. Instead, it stopped kidney function. 
then blasted the liver and other organs. If you want to read the rest of that article, go to uh, brownstone.org and just org and just look up why are hospitals uh, still using remdesivir, and and a search will lead you. Um, to a whole realm of things. Although I do encourage you to use alternative browser browsers other than, shall we call them corporate browsers like Google. Go. Um, this is a complete segue, Javier, but I I don't remember which browser I was on, one of the mainstream ones. And what, what did I, oh, I was looking up for our, our guest in the second hour. I was looking up regenerative farming. And do you know what alarmed me? The first 10 hits were the World Economic Forum. Of course. So the subjects that we are very interested in to actually save the planet and human life and, and all life and the environment, they're co-opting on these search engines to direct people interested in these subjects as if they are going to be the arbiters of truth. Exactly. It was, it was yeah, it was, it was the WHO and World Economic Forum and the Gates Foundation those were all the top hits. It was very concerning. So I went and found another browser that gave me, that was not artificially um, making suggestions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that, that's the nature of the world we live in right now, where corporate power is putting their fingers on the balance to direct information where they needed to go. Yeah. Well, and that's why we exist and why we're still here. Amateurs, both of us, amateur radio hosts, but mm -hmm. here we are talking truth. And this is what makes America great is free speech. And we need to return to respecting that the average person has the intelligence to make good decisions if they're given the right information. Well, I think that the powers that be know that. Otherwise, why would they hide information from us? Because <laughs> they know if we have the right information, we're going to make decisions that aren't in their corporate best interest. Well, it reminds me of the uh, the fire that happened in San Francisco after the Great Quake. Um, the people of San Francisco were able to effectively calm down the fires and start rebuilding until the U.S. Army showed up to help. Oh. Them. And then everything fell apart. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that is very concerning. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm here from the government and I'm here to help. Those are supposed yep. to be the scariest words. But, you know, it's taken us a while um, to figure out how to be Americans, how to get back, how to start winning lawsuits, how to, you know, all of us figure it all out. But I do believe the tide has completely turned in many areas. And so with that, um, we're going to be bringing on Melissa Jacobs. Now, Melissa is in the heart of this great nation where there are some great storms and the great storms have taken out her power. So she's dialing in by phone. So I'm hoping we can hear her and we're still working on getting a photo of the beautiful um, Melissa Jacobs. So hopefully that will be <laughs> appearing soon. But can we hear you, Melissa? Yes, I am here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. This is wonderful. So thank you. Despite all these troubles, I want to introduce you to Javier Figueroa, the PhD in neurobiology, who's the brains of this outfit. Hello, Melissa. Hello. Hello very nice <laughs> to meet you, doctor. Good to meet you. <laughs> Under these circumstances. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I would love for people to know about you, um, Melissa. So let's let's back up a bit. Why don't you start where you feel comfortable starting and, and tell us about yourself. Tell us, um, you know, who you are and how you got into working in the law and then led you eventually to like where you are now. 
Okay, thank you, Bernadette. I will try to do the short, sweet version. Um, well, I was originally um, an actress, and my picture that I think is going to be shown is actually a headshot. Um, believe me, in this rainstorm, I'm not looking like that at the moment. But anyway, that's me. And uh, I also always felt a calling to be an advocate um, and sort of always did that even as a, a child, you know, whether it was fighting for some cause for my peers or um, a health violation. It's just sort of in my blood. And I, as I shared with you, I had my own personal struggle um, with the medical establishment and big pharma as a young woman. Um, I was misdiagnosed, you know, how our medical paradigm works. It doesn't treat an actual holistic issue. It just looks at symptoms. Um, yes. And so what I would, I was, and the big pharma studies came into play. I remember the doctor showing me the studies, telling me, you know, this is the science. You need to take this. It, it had to do with um, estrogen, which they found out is very carcinogenic. And I was a young woman. I was only 17. Um, and so I was dosed on, on this pharmaceutical for about 12 years. <laughs> and, um, yeah, wow. it just ruined me. And I, I felt poisoned. Um, yeah. And because... You know, that struggle, I researched, and as many do that, that have these challenges to survive and to find answers, um, and I was very fortunate I did. I don't think I would have made my 29th birthday, to be honest with you, um, and I did, wow. and I felt that I had a mission, you know, to expose this paradigm, this false and paradigm. Melissa, um, just kind of Squirreling off as I often do on what you said about you were given this hormone and for 12 years and it yeah. has been linked to cancer. Um, and it was a, that's a drug that my um, mother was on for decades and she did pass away from uh, breast cancer. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But the FDA just approved a hormonal contraceptive pill to be mm -hmm. sold over the counter with no age limit and mm -hmm. it's it's a synthetic um progesterone so you know in you know and these, these all comes with a, a long list of concerns so what you got 12 14 year olds 15 year olds able to go mm -hmm. onto this drug with significant health impact it's mm -hmm. going to be on the shelf um with nobody knowing that they're buying it this is very concerning um yeah, yeah. Well, it's about money, you know, they're, it's very profitable. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I mean, progesterone itself is an amazing substance and actually saved my life, natural progesterone, but natural. synthetic progestins actually can be estrogenic. <laughs> so yes, and to, I'd have to do the research on that, but I would suspect that it's you know going to mimic some estrogenic uh, properties, which are very toxic. Yes. Right. So where's the informed consent when you have a minor having access to these drugs? What minor reads vaccine or product inserts and goes and does their medical due diligence and weighs the risks mm -hmm. and benefits of avoiding uh, pregnancy with potential harm? Right. This is why we don't empower minors to mm -hmm. make exactly. these decisions. Right. Well, this um, well, this just sounds exactly what we're dealing with in this last event, you know, the three years. It's, this is an old problem. It's just kind of come to a climax for our, our society these last few years. Yes. 
Yeah. And so you were, you were an actress and then you got sick, the, you know, harmed by the drug industry by not having informed consent, um, understanding that you were doing harm by continuing to take something prescribed to you. Um, and, but then you got yourself well, fabulous. Um, and so then what made you turn to the, the law? Was it your, this experience you said, right? Um, well, as you can imagine, I was quite compromised trying to be an actress, which is a very hard lifestyle. Um, and I've always been a proponent of advocacy. Like I said, it's sort of in my blood. But I think my mom actually just put this. She's like, why don't you go to law school if you, if you like advocacy? And um, at, at that point in my life, I just thought, OK, why not? <laughs> yeah, I sort of went into it. And now I, I'm so grateful that I did that because I just feel that I've been able to step into this mission, you know, it's all perfect and helped so many people um, through this the last few years and been really fulfilling and gratifying um, as a lawyer um, because I was in New York city for most of my law career. I got barred there and ended up doing like plain of personal injury for a while. And then my last stop was with an insurance defense firm, which was more <laughs> for lifestyle reasons. And it was so soul draining. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they were lovely people, but the work, you know, representing people um, in these, insur- you know, basically working with the insurance companies on the defense side. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, it wasn't fulfilling. You know, I tried to help people who were injured by settling cases, um, but it kind of gave me a very bad taste of the law, especially in New York City, where it's just so difficult and and yeah. sometimes there that it's such a you know high intensity to practice law and um so like this really just changed my life what happened with covid because it just mm-hmm. it just let me step right into this mission and it, it's just been very transformative and so you were in new york but you're no longer in new york uh was it covid that drove you away well, i left in 20 i'm kind of um very sensitive person. I, I kind of felt what was coming there. There was a huge shift in New York in the energy there. I would say, especially around 2015, 2016. Cause I yes. just love it. I, I don't, I just felt something shifting there. And by 2017, I just thought after I was there for 19 years and I thought, I just have to get out. I, I can't be wow. here anymore. It was just, it was yeah. toxic. I, I, yeah, I do believe that that was a very critical moment in, if I may use the word pandemic with you in, mm-hmm. in the, of what was headed our way. So many yes. people that I know, it was, um, 2015, 16, where everything across the nation ramped up. Um, mm-hmm. they ramped up attempting to get rid of, uh, religious and personal exemptions to vaccination to mm. tighten medical exemptions. Um, they began to talk a lot about, believe it or not, misinformation. It became yeah. a college course at the University of Washington. Um, and they had, do you remember that, Javier? They had the word BS. They thought maybe it was being clever. It would attract the young people, but BS in the title. Um, so all of the the ideas of um, you don't do this for yourself, you do it for your neighbor, you know, mm-hmm. you got to be careful of misinformation, all the discrediting mm-hmm. of alternative voices, 
uh, independent mm -hmm. voices um, began in 2015-16. And then I saw the positioning in 2019. In hindsight, actually, I realized when I was looking back at key people in certain positions, I kept finding mm. out, well, this person, like somebody in Idaho who was who was the right-hand woman to the Idaho governor, 2019, she left her job um, pushing flu vaccines for adults for the CDC and moved to mm. tiny town in Idaho and set up a one-person LLC. What? Mm. Perfectly positioned. And I saw that in several places. And I saw other people leave a job here and they got perfectly positioned for what yeah. was to come. So you yeah. have good instincts, dear. If you were feeling it and you weren't in the thick of the medical freedom movement as I was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So tell us then about how you did get involved in the, the lawsuits that are happening now and, and give us some information on the background of those uh, law cases. Okay, we'll do. I'll just, so I, I, you know, I fled New York. I actually went to Colorado, which we know is, a, you know, a quite blue state. Um, so I was there trying to regroup. I lived on a ranch, <laughs> you know, like a transition. And then I ended up becoming the general counsel for, it's a retreat center, basically. And um, it's a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. So that's when COVID, all this COVID stuff struck. And, you know, I didn't know what was going on at first, like many people. Um, I'm listening to Trump on his, you know, daily reports. And I just as a concerned human, I mean, at first I thought, oh, wow, is this, you know, is this something really serious? Do I need to, you know, be protecting people and the mask? You know, even I, I think in the beginning was a little susceptible, frankly, because I just I just didn't know. I didn't have any, you know, chain of evidence or research that I had done. Um, and then I guess about nine months to a year going into this thing, I just started feeling like something was extremely wrong, you know, like here we are a year later and I'm looking around me and seeing people, you know, with triple masks on walking around. Everyone's afraid of everyone. No one's socializing. I, it just, I it just inside as a human, I'm like, something is greatly wrong here. This, this is not healthy. You know, there's just something more to this story. Um, so I just started diving in as a lawyer online. I know, I'm sure you all know Reiner Fulmich. He, German mm -hmm. attorney has been broadcasting what's, you know, interviewing hundreds and hundreds of experts. Um, and I just couldn't believe it. You know, I'm just listening to him. It sounds very logical, evidence-based. I'm not a conspiracy mm -hmm. theorist. I know a lot of people use that word out in the world, but I was finding truth and evidence and reality and it was matching how I was feeling inside. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, I have to do something. I'm an attorney. I mean, there's so few of us that are, helping people navigate through this. Yes. Um, so I, that's how I found Children's Health Defense. You know, I just found all the organizations that were involved um, in, mm -hmm. you know, trying to expose this. Um, I also found America's Frontline Doctors, mm -hmm. um, who, you know, was very outspoken about the, the suppression of the treatments. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I got involved. They were looking for attorneys. They were being flooded just with calls from all over the country, every state, people in turmoil, you know, what do I do? I'm going to lose my job if I don't get the shot or, you know, I can't wear yeah. a mask. They just mm -hmm. flooded. And so they referred, you know, these people out to the various attorneys um, that signed up with them, you know, to help these people. And mm -hmm. that, that's kind of how I got into the movement because I started working with people from New York because that's where I'm barred. 
Yeah, they the uh, America's Frontline Doctors, which is different from the Frontline COVID Care Critical Care Alliance. A lot of people confuse them because they both have Frontline in there. But they, I think they were so instrumental in uh -huh. helping people at the very beginning feel hopeful that somebody yeah. out there is brave enough in the medical community to stand up and by gum, they stood on the steps of the Capitol in Washington, DC with know, the right yeah. on and braved yeah. a lot of attack and they're still braving a lot of attack, but they're the first yeah. to give us hope. And for those of us in the movement prior to COVID, it was yeah. like, hallelujah, this is, it was like a miracle because we've known many, many doctors who understood that the pediatric vaccines have issues that nobody is willing to stand up and address. And here yeah. these doctors are braving the cameras and everything and holding press conferences was fantastic. So, uh, and there were attorneys in Washington state who were flying to wherever the um, America's frontline doctors were to, to hear mm -hmm. the evidence and get trained. So that's fantastic. You know, that, that helped you along now prior, prior to COVID, did you have any background in understanding how things worked at, like at the FDA and the CDC as far as drugs go and recommendations and approvals and licensing and all that? Well, based on my personal journey, you know, I never subscribed to any of those things. I was just kind of predisposed to not trust any of those organizations that had anything to do yeah. with it. <laughs> That's <laughs> good. So I, that. <laughs> I hadn't really stepped in as an attorney, um, but I, I was – my, I'll just show, I have a mentor, a health mentor. Um, he, he passed away in November. I knew him for 25 years. Um, brilliant man and scientist. Ray Pete is his name. Some people may have heard this name. He saved my life. I mean, I found his book when I was, you know, about to check out probably in my late twenties. And, um, I've been following his information and, um, spreading it as much as I can, but he wrote so much about what you're talking about just in his articles, um, about, you know, the corruption in big pharma that he, mm -hmm. you know, wrote a lot of things about the FDA, everything you're saying. I mean, I've been, you know, primed that way to think that. Yeah. So, yeah. That's good because for some, for some doctors, holy cow, was it a shock? You know, they went from completely trusting to mm -hmm. realizing, I mean, they rock their world upside down and it's been a, for, you know, depending on how much you knew it, it really could slam a lot of people. So I'm glad that you were a little bit forewarned and, and already been through some of the shock of not being able to yeah, trust yeah, our federal agency. As much as I suffered, I say that to people, I said, you know what, it taught me to think for myself, to not be swept into this. You know, I, I'm not, I can't be indoctrinated. I just, you know, I knew early on. So I think a lot of the indoctrination is, like you said, people that did trust that never had mm -hmm. a bad experience, maybe. And so they were susceptible to just, you know, mm -hmm. going into the force with all of this. Yeah. Yeah. So then tell us um, what you know uh, about the remdesivir now lawsuit. So I'll go ahead. I can share the, the Meyer and Share website. Is that a good one then for me to show viewers? Yeah. That's my colleague, um, my colleagues, actually, um, Jamie and her husband, Stephen, share. And um, just as a preface, so Amer America's Frontline Doctors is how I met all my colleagues that I work with now okay. that I'm working on this case. So we all came together through that organization. We're, we're not working with that organization anymore, but it was a great springboard, like you said, you know, to just bring people together, expose yes. 
Mm-hmm. So that's how we met. And then, you know, Jamie has put everything on her website um, that Myron shared about the Remdesivir case. And mm-hmm. if you would like, I can just go right into that, tell you sort of how yes. it came to be. Um, yes. So in the course of, you know, all these people flooding to us in this chaotic nightmare that we all got thrown into, and we were doing a lot of exemptions and religious, the religious and the medical um, schools, you know, people that didn't want their children to wear masks, trying to help them through that, you know, lots of attorney letters. And I mean, there's lawsuits also involved. Um, But in the swarm of all of that, we started getting phone calls um, from people. I mean, I would just, you know, very tearful people. I've had, I had some very, um, very grief stricken people calling me. I was driving actually from Colorado to Florida where I decided to go next because it was a free state. I thought that would be a, a good place to be. And I stopped in Kansas and I just still remember I was in front of a health food store and I get this phone call from a woman and she's sobbing and sobbing and she just poured her heart out to me. Um, she had just lost her daughter in the oh. hospital. They put her in the hospital. And she showed, you know, she sent me pictures of the, the girl was in her twenties, but she, she just looks so young and angelic, you know, just oh. very young, sweet girl. And I just, my heart just poured out to her. You know, I couldn't, I just let her talk to me for like an hour and a half, just standing out in front of the store. Um, mm-hmm. And she's just sharing her story about, she's like, they killed her. This hospital, she watched the whole thing. She had no control. She didn't, she was just confused. You know, she, she started to try to get lawyers involved at one point, you know, to get her a drug that she thought would help her, that ivermectin. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it was too late by that time. They, they'd already had her on a ventilator. Um, and on the remdesivir, and, you know, she just watched the entire event unfold of how her daughter just deteriorated, and she knew what was going on, you know, Mm -hmm. that it was the hospital, and they were not treating her properly. Um, Yeah, 20-year-olds don't don't die of COVID or the flu. You know, healthy people, you know, in that age bracket, even if they had comorbidities um, with proper treatment, do not die of this. I'm it's just so heartbreaking. I can't, I can't ima- imagine um, losing anybody, but to lose a child, you know. Oh, I, I know. I know. We're still, we still thought she's still, you know, I, I feel very close to all of these clients because I just, you know, I'm, I get very personally involved and emotional. It's just, it's, it's so, so sad. And, you know, that's yeah. one example. I mean, then we just kept hearing the same story over and over again. Like, you know, it was, it's a pattern that it's, it's real. It just keeps happening mm-hmm. over and over. Um, former feds group who we also work with and who is helping us in some of the fundraising for this case mm-hmm. that we're doing, mm-hmm. um, have testimonials up. I don't even know how much they're up to now. I think their goal was to get to like 10,000 or something, um, mm-hmm. of these, you know, victims like sharing yeah. about how they lost their loved ones. And it's, yeah. There's, there's similar pieces to each story. I mean, so we know this is really happening. It's just happening over and over again, and it's still happening, which is why we are very passionate about filing um, this case, which I'm happy to go into as well on a legal standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And are you, um, I'm, I'm now showing to those who are able to see the video portion, the former feds group. Um, COVID-19 Humanity Betrayal Memory Project. And that's what you're talking about. They have thousands and thousands of 
um, individuals. And these are fully documented. When you go to them and you want to share your story, they take private securely. They take all of your information, the medical information. So they are documenting um, cases of uh, vaccine death, vaccine injury, hospital protocol death and injury. And it's heartbreaking, but volunteers are wanting to make sure this never happens again. And so to have this detailed medical and legal record is phenomenal. So that's the former feds group. Um, yes. You can find that humanity uh, betrayal project. So yeah, go ahead and, um, oh, on the website, it says that you're still taking in um, are you still accepting this is a class action lawsuit? So can people who know somebody who were injured or killed by uh, hospital protocol with remdesivir, can they still sign on? Yes, that is why we chose this strategy, you know, so that we could help as many people as possible, you know, on an ongoing okay. basis. So, yes, class action. Um, it's a continual um, okay. developing thing. And I will just say, too, that um, former feds has been amazing because they've partnered with us to help us raise funding to go after Gilead, which I'll explain in a minute. And um, okay. they, um, we, we, are, we are selling medical alert bracelets that we get like $10 per bracelet towards this case. And um, those details are on Meyer and Share and also on their site. And they're working for people. Like people are reporting, God forbid, they do have to get to a hospital. Um, they see the bracelet, which says they're allergic to these toxic drugs remdesivir, mm -hmm. fentanyl, there's uh, <laughs> the bar barbitian, I don't even know how to say the other one. But, um, yes, thank you. Um, those, mm -hmm. cause my computer just went out. I can't look at any of my notes now. But anyway, <laughs> those three drugs are um, on the, that bracelet, and they're noting in people's files immediately that they cannot have those drugs. So those things are really okay. helping people mm -hmm. protect themselves. I really encourage getting one. They're not expensive, like $20 for a bracelet. And okay. have you had a, I have a quick question for you. Has, have you ever heard of anyone uh, mentioning that some hospitals have dropped to using the remdesivir protocol for COVID patients? Um, I've heard whisperings of that. Um, you know, I mean, that's a great thing, but we're getting still a lot of reports. You know, they're still doing it. I mean, my colleague, Jamie, told me about one of our healthcare workers. We've been trying to help the healthcare workers in New York through this whole nightmare. They lost their job. Um, she, her husband went missing, apparently, and she found him in a hospital. I guess he had been attacked by a mugger. You know, he was injured. And she found him in there, and he was on remdesivir and a ventilator. That's wow. insane. Like, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Insane. So it's the, and we're getting, we get reports like this all the time. I mean, so it's just a continual thing. I mean, that's, that's wonderful that some of them have stopped doing it, but it's is it, not. Is it still being incentivized? Are the uh, funds still in place from the federal government that incentivized remdesivir inventing? And there was money paid to the hospital if you, uh, uh, above the cost of treating mm -hmm. the patient with these, they got awards. And in some states, it depend. every state was different. I don't know why, but some states yeah. you could get $130,000 extra per patient if they put them on the remdesivir vent protocol. Um, yeah. and yeah. if you, if you did do the full protocol, you're not getting all the money. Uh, some States it was like 300,000. It was absurd per patient. We're talking. Yep. Um, it's all, it's so I'm not easy. sure if those incentives are still there, but maybe they are. If hospitals are still doing it. As far as I know. Yes. That's the drive behind it. Um, for sure. Okay. So, okay. You know, so let's, really let's get down to, 
Yeah, let's get down to the lawsuit here. I know people are eager to hear the details. Yes, of course, and that's really why. But anyway, it's nice to know. You know, we're all in this together. We all have our personal investments. Um, so, you know, we're getting all these calls. I mean, Jamie and I talked about it because we're very, you know, compassionate people, and we just we were thinking, how can we help as many people as possible? You know, there's individual lawsuits going on against hospitals. Um, by some of our colleagues, which, you know, are, that's amazing initiative to help these people, but they're very, you know, just about one person. They might make a difference because if there's a favorable ruling, it'll, you know, get out there and affect things. But um, we, we were just trying to figure out how can we help all these people that we're just getting bombarded with all over the country. So we thought, okay, it's got to be some kind of class action. Um, and through our colleagues in America's Frontline, you know, we have some amazing attorneys. Um, Sheldon Karasik is a, a very seasoned attorney that we all met through the Frontline Doctors. Um, and he, he's kind of our lead on, you know, helping to formulate strategies. Um, and he came up with this extremely brilliant strategy um, that we think has a great chance of winning. One of the largest hurdles, as I'm sure you know, Everyone has heard this name out there, the PREP Act, that mm -hmm. has provided in this ridiculous immunity, you know, to all of these drug manufacturers and, um, you know, medical people that are, were involved in this COVID event. Uh, and that's, like, been a big hurdle. Everyone... Isn't, is, isn't it odd that the only people during COVID who were afforded immunity were the people who were profiting off of COVID? <laughs> Yeah, anyway, <laughs> wrong immunity, but yes, I I digress. Okay, so yes, the prep act. So we found a way around it. Yes, we think we have. Um, my complaint, you know, as you know, I have no power. So here I am talking from just my memory. I had the whole thing in front of me, but I know it pretty well. Um, we we figured out well, number one, the prep act um, has provisions in place whereby there could be an exception if there were willful misconduct. I'm sure yes. you've heard that word too. Yes. But that's kind of a very convoluted route where we found out, you know, it's very limiting. You have to only file in Washington, D.C., you know, in a federal court, and that's not favorable. Um, and it's a pretty tough burden. I mean, I, I didn't, we didn't think that was viable to use as an mm -hmm. exception. So... Mm -hmm. What we found is that, number one, Gilead is headquartered in California, and jurisdictional defenses come up, you know, if you don't sue a company where it has its corporate base. So we sort of decided that this is going to be California so that we don't run into that problem. So that was number okay. one. And then I'm not going to say exactly where we're, we're targeting this, just not to get it, you know, completely out in the public right now, but we found an extremely favorable jurisdiction for us within the state. Um, and we, we were, were planning to file in state court as well, which helps us a lot too, because mm -hmm. number two, California is in the ninth um, appellate circuit. And there's an amazing case that's very favorable that helps us get out of this whole preemption problem, prep backs problem. Um, it basically holds, you know, that, you can do this cause these causes of action that I'll explain what they are. Um, and you're not going to be preempted and that's wow. in the ninth circuit. So yeah. So if we get an attack on that level, then we have this case in that jurisdiction in a higher court. So we feel very good about 
our standing to do the case. Um, That's excellent. And so that, you know, that was a big find. And then also the, um, the prep act, you know, if you run into a hurdle, if you're doing like say a personal injury case where you're trying to get damages for uh, injuries, distress, that sort of thing. So we steered away from that. We're like, what can we use Uh-oh. to get us out of that whole genre, you know, that's going to kill mm-hmm. us with this prep act immunity. And mm-hmm. California, as you may know, has amazing consumer protection laws. Um, very strong in California. They're big on consumer protection. Um, they have statutes, you know, on the books that are very uh, delineated as to what the you know cause of action entails, what the relief is. Um, you know, they're just black and white consumer protection statutes, and they're applicable to this case because we are alleging, you know, that there was a very false and deceptive uh, misrepresentation perpetrated on the public with wow. this drug, you know, which I know you would probably agree with by what we shared earlier. Yes. Um, so the, if I'm, it's my understanding that you are, this class action lawsuit is not only against Gilead, the makers of remdesivir, but also the FDA because they played as big a role in putting out this dangerous product, correct? That would be stage two. Right now, first we decided we're filing the state case just against Gilead. And yes, you are correct. And once we, you know, do the state case, we, we did have plans to file a federal case as well. Um, that would involve the government, but there are nuances in the law about, you know, there's like immunity for government as well, not even just the prep act, um, Mm. that we have to, you know, show, well, well, I mean, fraud and malfeasance. I mean, you take anybody off the street and you show them the evidence. They, you know, I, I would say anybody, I don't care where walk of life they come from. A, A kindergartner would say, no, that doesn't sound safe. Based on what you told me, the history of this drug. No, I don't think so, right? I mean, so well, I yeah, don't think common sense would tell you that. But um, you know, there's just so many layers of protection, and we thought if we do the state case first against Gilead, get some headway with that, it, it might help us to move on, you know, to the government. Um, and if we're successful, you know, we could shoot down some of those arguments that because the government. Like Gilead could argue, well, we were just a branch of the government because the government does have immunity, you know, legally in many situations. Um, but we feel like our strategy will circumvent that. So then if we're successful mm-hmm. in defeating that argument, we feel we could use that in the bigger case against the government mm-hmm. to defeat their argument that, oh, they're the government. They're, you know, they're immune. Um, so are you saying that Gilead them. was claiming some form of uh, governmental uh, authority? that the government had granted them some authority to act on their behalf? Well, we, we, from a legal standpoint, and, you know, we did an extensive search of, on the case law there. Yes, there is an argument like with this sovereign immunity, you know, when you're like the government was, you know, ordering everyone, they were like part of this initiative that the government had orchestrated. So yes, they could make this argument. Well, we were just going along with, you know, the authority of the government. So we should get that immunity too. They're like a, an arm of it, you know. They they could make that argument. Their lawyers will, I'm sure. But oh, I'm sure they we, will. But I mean, the the idea that somehow they can circumvent the the established facts that the remdesivir was killing patients on a you know on on those early trials, that's going to mm-hmm. be one hell of a hurdle to make a claim on. Exactly, and so we think we have a great case. We we're not, you know, we could have made a much bigger, you know, dramatic case 
but we were practical. We decided let's pick something that we think we can win and we can prove. And with these consumer protection statutes, um, there's three of them. I'll just tell you what they are. Consumer Legal Remedies Act um, is one that prohibits unfair or deceptive practices in connection with the sale of goods. You know, you wouldn't think we would use this for this situation, but it actually does fit because in the complaint, we have all the facts that prove, you know, that, that they perpetrated an unfair and deceptive practice in the connection with the sale of remdesivir against the public. It was misrepresented. Um, they had information. They didn't disclose it. And we have proof of that. And it's laid out in the facts section. And, um, you know, they knew about studies. They, and then during the course of this whole thing, obviously things were happening um, in the present moment of what we were observing, what was going on. You know, even if they claimed, oh, we didn't know beforehand, it was pretty evident while it was happening. You know, people were just dying and all the information that was coming out. Um, and it just, you know, pushed aside. They just kept going forward. So wow. that was that's one cause of action. Um, there's a false advertising act that we're using. That's a second cause. And then an unfair competition law. Oh, wow. Well. So you're, you're going after everything there. That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, we're really going strong consumer protection. We have a few other, we have money had and received. It's very basic. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, oh, you're like doing this like a case where you buy something in a store and it's defective, but it, it works. <laughs> we it we works, can prove yeah. all of these. And we have law, you know, that's very strong. I, I, I think it's, you know, a very, a very high chance of winning this particular kind of case. Um, and what's amazing have, is that when you go towards a federal case with the FDA, you can actually use interlocking directorates uh, to prove uh, uh, fraud across multiple uh, federal jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we hope to get there, but um, we do think this will set us up. And another very strong aspect of our case is we're focusing on equitable relief, um, which does get us out of that problem with the PrEP Act, you know, which is banning any kind of like pain and suffering type of relief. Equitable relief is injunction. Um, restitution can be equitable. Um, disgorgement, which means that they have to give back all the profits they made. And in a way, this could provide tremendous compensation for the plaintiffs because that's a lot of money. Even though we're not making it a personal yeah. injury case, we are asking for monetary relief within the bounds wow. of this equitable relief doctrine. Um, and then that encompasses our other causes of action, like negligent misrepresentation, unjust enrichment is another one. That's kind of a classic, oh, you know. Melissa, wouldn't we love that against Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson? Holy cow. What was that term you used again? Say it again. Unjust enrichment. Unjust um, enrichment. I got to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a classic 101 textbook legal cause of action, but um, it, it, it can qualify as equitable relief, as I said, so we can kind of get it in there and uh, good chance of um, avoiding that prep act problem. And, um, and as you said, and we've said this amongst our colleagues, once we get some headway with this case, this, our complaint could be used as a template for all those other companies. They can use the same strategy and the same causes of action to try to go after um, the vaccine companies. Wow. It's a very, that, very good complaint. That is so um, exciting. I, I, I've shared this before. I'm going to, um, I'm going to share. Oh, let's see. No, 
I'll do it in a second. I've got something else I want to share. And I, I can't um, I can't let go a discussion of Gilead and uh, remdesivir go by without showing. No, it's not conspiracy. It's it's real. Um, right. This comparison of the Biden inauguration day image uh -huh. And you're not able mm -hmm. to see this, but compared to the images of The Handmaid's Tale, a TV show, but it was a book, mm -hmm. um, a very dystopian society. We won't go into the details of it, but in the in the TV series and in the book, you dress according to your station in life with the men wearing dark suits, the wives of the powerful men in a bluish teal. Um, the workers, the women who are workers called the Marthas in brown, the handmaids who were the fertile ones who had the babies in red, and the young girls who were fertile, who were, you know, very much taken care of in pink. Um, and you've got a side by side or top and bottom comparison of Biden holding his wife Jill's hand and she is wearing the teal. And, you, you know, there's a young girl in pink, the whole thing. One color match, two color match, three color wow. match, quite a coincidence. You've got five color matches here. And it was, and the name of the dystopian society in the book is Gilead. Um, wow. I just don't see how that can be. And the only approved drug to treat COVID, uh. Gilead's remdesivir. This cannot be a coincidence unless, I mean, really bizarre universe if this is a, con okay, so uh, I've shared this before and, you know, it just right. shows, it's wild, the planning of, you know, you go back, I mean, that, that could not be faked. Okay, so we've got this fantastic lawsuit that is coming. How are we doing on time? Um, and I scrolled, but yeah, I had a I had a point. Now I have forgotten it. Um, help me out here, Javier. Where were we? Do you remember? The amount of planning that it takes, the lack of coincidence, the amount of uh, pre-planning, pre-thought that had to go into a lot of this stuff. Yes, so much. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I go. I was going to say, I agree with you. I mean, just from a lawyer's perspective, I know you use the word conspiracy theory as well, but I mean, you know, there's proof showing patents related to these COVID issues that go back to like 1999. Um, right. I mean, there's a, a chain of proof. There are dates yes. where tests were released for the PCR tests were released way before there was any pandemic. Right. I mean, it's pretty strongly proven. Yeah, this was premeditated right. and planned i mean so i don't nothing surprises right. me like the thing that you relayed i mean i i believe anything now after this whole right <laughs> well unbelievable if, if it wasn't planned an intent to have this whole global reset takeover and if it really was you know them in just really trying to protect the planet. And I mean, first of all, it's the most incompetence I've ever seen. For 20 years, they've been doing tabletop exercises to, to plan yeah. to protect us during a pandemic and a pandemic yeah. supposedly hit and everything that they predicted for 20 years could go wrong, went wrong. And they never once, did you ever hear Tony Fauci at the podium going, well, we've done 20 of these tabletop exercises and by gum, we know what to do. He never even mentioned that they've been pre rehearsing. <laughs> 
didn't want to do. No, um, well, that was, you, you know, know it's, so it's, it's either intentional or it's incompetence, but either way, it's got to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's funny to bring up that um, dichotomy because we were very careful in the complaint to not be really strong on, oh, it was this intentional plot. We're just, we're trying to make it more practical. So you're correct. Like at the very release, least, it was like very, very negligent, like recklessly negligent. And that's a much easier yes. thing to prove. So, yes. I mean, I could segue into that. Like this case should have been filed yesterday. Um, that we, it's all ready to go. We lack funding. I, I'm just going to come out and say okay. that. And um, I'm just all hoping, right. you know, this can get out there to your audience. Um, it's very yes. important. This case we feel could be a game changer. It could expose, okay. even for people that are vaccine indoctrinated, this has nothing to do with the vaccines or the injections, yeah. if I should say yeah. more properly. Um, I think even those people, when they see this, are going to question everything once this is exposed. So yeah. we're really trying to push this. We, we're far overdue in filing this case, and we okay. want to stop what they're doing. And, you know, we're trying to be creative with fundraising. Um, those bracelets are selling a lot, but they're very small ticket items. So okay. obviously it's going to take a long time to build up an arsenal to go against a multi-billionaire giant like Gilead. Yeah. So, so you've got this Gibson Go account. Let me see what the address is. It is the campaign let's see, I'm trying to figure out the easiest way to say how to do it but you are you you can link to it from the uh, lawsuit or the um, that website I've lost it now here it is from Meyer and share M Y E R and S H S C H E R and yeah. yes you can you can link you can click there to go to the to donate, and I see you've raised almost thirty thousand, but you need at least two hundred thousand. And the goal right now is two hundred thousand, just to get you going. Right? To file it. I mean, obviously, we will. We're going to be continually fundraising. We actually um, got up to sixty-two thousand, um, which you know, okay. I mean, that's not nothing, but it's, no. it's, it's shy of the initial amount. You know, we feel we need to file. It's a lot of expense mm -hmm. that we have local counsel involved, obviously, because we're, we're not located in California. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to get bombarded, you know, once we file this. So we just need to be prepared and yeah. make sure we, you know, like a, a war chest. <laughs> 200000 is a pretty small one to start with. But, you know, it would be we could get it filed and then we'll just. You could get it. OK, well, I, you know, for for viewers out there and listeners, um you know, we have seen some really good cases uh, put forward mm -hmm. on, in various aspects of what's happening and good decisions made, and we're reclaiming this nation. If we truly don't want a repetition of loved ones dying of horrific protocols alone in the hospital, we have mm -hmm. got to fund good lawsuits such as this. So if you've got an extra five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, your grandma gave you a hundred bucks for your birthday. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a better thing to give to than this lawsuit because it was, it's just, it's unconscionable what they have done and they must never, ever 
do it again. And I love what you're asking with this lawsuit and that potentially what would happen is all those ill-gotten gains, the unjust mm. enrichment that Gilead mm. has gotten would have to be paid back to the victims. Amen mm. to that and let it be a precedent. So yes, if yeah. you've got the means, please. <laughs> huh? No, it'd be great. It just makes me smile. Like to hear you say that. I mean, you know, our hearts are really invested in us. And we've, we've been on calls with the victims and, you know, trying to be more, to share with them that it's, this is our mission. We're not in an ivory tower. We're just, you know, a yeah. string of attorneys that are very upset. Jamie's had her own personal story with th this type of situation um, with her father that she's shared. You know, we all have personal investment in this cause. Mm -hmm. And, um, mm -hmm. we're upset. I think and we all know somebody. I know somebody whose who's, uh, dad was killed by the hospital protocol. Yeah. Yeah, it's affected so, all of us. I mean, every one mm -hmm. of us, too. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. this whole, even if it wasn't someone losing someone in the hospital, this whole COVID thing. I mean, it yeah. turned everyone's lives upside down, you know, and we yeah. really, we think this is a way to really get the message out and prevent this from happening because they are trying to line up the next one. I believe you've probably shared about some of the oh, talk yeah. about and all that yeah i mean yeah. it's not we're not safe right now <laughs> like we we no. have to keep fighting you know or else we could get sucked up again by something yeah exactly melissa well thank you so much for coming on the show bless your heart we're sending you love and prayers and hopefully a lot of money um so we're gonna have to go on a break yeah thank you melissa when we come back we've got two new guests on two new topics you're listening to an informed life radio on 1150 am kknw we'll be back in a few minutes bye now if you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day then look no further than the flame paper the flame paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative be it health care voter fraud political correctness, or even the one-world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today we need a revolution there's only one solution 
everyone. Welcome back to an informed live radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and there is Dr. Javier Figueroa joining me for my hour, second hour of this great show. It's, it is exciting, Javier, isn't it, to hear of this lawsuit going forward? And it sounds, uh, I'm not an attorney, but it sounds very solid to me. Yeah, and I think that there's going to be a, a lot of eyes on it, especially from the federal government. As yeah. uh, they get that one to go, it's going to push a lot of dominoes down. I, I, one of my favorite aspects is that it is um, potentially going to utilize the ill-gotten gains to help the victims, and that's so important. We need to see that with all of these things moving forward. You know what should have happened? during COVID would, would be our public health leaders would say, turn to the healers. And who are the real healers? Well, I'm bringing one on today. I'm, we're bringing on Javier, Dr. Sarah Kotlerman. Hello, Dr. Sarah. Hello. It's Hi. so nice to be here. Yeah. Welcome to an Inform Life Radio. So um, you are a chiropractor and you're up in Burlington, Washington. Is that correct? Technically, our office is in Mount Vernon, but Burlington's only 15 minutes away. Good, good. A, a great area. I lived for a few years, my husband and I, up on Orcas Island, and we'd pass yeah. that way, you know, when we would escape. We called it Orcatraz, because when you're young and and newly married and have no money, you know, you had to escape from the island. <laughs> and the only way off was by ferry. So uh, beautiful place, though, um, where you are. So it's so exciting to have you on. Um, I got to tell you at the beginning of COVID, I, Javier, I think it might've been before. Do you recognize this? When we petitioned the board of health to convene a committee of healthcare practitioners from across the board, you were with us then good. Um, everybody, chiropractors, naturopathic physicians, you know, all the holistic and the MD world, allopathic and such to come together to discuss their protocols for COVID, for treating COVID, to distill, to to get rid of fear and just give people hope that, hey, treatments exist. And so we ran that by the Board of Health. And it was interesting. They turned us down, but they thought it was a great idea. It's on our Informed Choice Washington website, their response, great idea, but it's not in our wheelhouse. Hmm. That's not part of what we can do. And I'm like, nothing you're doing has ever been done before. This is, we're, we're in unprecedented times. They said, no, the federal government needs to do that. Yeah. Like the federal government's going to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so that didn't happen, but what we would love to see and Javier and I drafted (laughs) a bill right? We, we presented a bill, what should happen during a pandemic? And we included convening all of you wonderful healers together as part of the solution. It's still a part of history. We need to revamp that and bring it forward, Javier. We haven't given up Uh, on that. (laughs) I think think now more than ever, just because we also had a criteria, a threshold for calling something a pandemic that met before something could, could be activated in terms of emergency powers. Uh, Yeah. The uh, the legis uh, who was it the uh, the person that was pushing the legislation thought this is great it's never been tried before yeah yeah 
it was a reason for it. (laughs) There's a reason for it. It was pretty good. So anyway, you can tell Bernadette likes to talk and squirrel this time of night. I get diverted. So I'm so excited to have you on. Um, We only have a half hour. So I'm going to shut up and I'm going to let you tell people about yourself and about Averio Health and about the exciting news for Washington State and for people who already understand what chiropractic is. Make sure you explain to people who only think chiropractic care is for people with backaches. (laughs) One of the analogies that we use in our office is the analogy of free pens. So you can get free pens at a bank, correct? Yes. Yeah, any bank in the country, you can walk into and get free pens. But is that really the purpose or the function that a bank has? No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So when people go to chiropractic for neck pain, back pain, headaches, it's kind of like walking into a bank for free pens. You will absolutely get help with your headache, neck pain, and back pain. But that is not the function nor the purpose of chiropractic care. Chiropractic care is to change the central nervous system. And the clinical facility that I work in, Avera Health Institute, is very unique in how it approaches that. We actually do concentrated regenerative chiropractic care. So we have patients here for five days of intensive treatment. We're doing six hours a day and somewhere in the realm of 50 to 60, sometimes more specific functional neurological adjustments the body has an amazing ability to respond extremely quickly. Your nervous system sends signals faster than you can think a thought or click your fingers. And we are finding in the literature and with the research we're doing here at Avario is that people will respond to these very specific, very gentle functional neurological adjustments. And within minutes, we can adjust them again. Uh, So we're coming from a unique clinical setting here, but most of the patients I see are not coming for neck, back pain, or headaches. And what what sort of things does chiropractic care really excel at, at addressing? That's a great question. To answer that, you need to understand what chiropractic is doing. When you get an adjustment, it's changing brain function. So areas where there's no electrical conductivity or there is abnormal or damaged electrical conductivity, those areas can be changed with a specific adjustment. Now, this is very different from trauma, okay? A a massive global manipulation does not have this same response. This is a specific gentle chiropractic adjustment is what has been shown in the literature for the last 20 years to change brain function. And it's changing brain function in the prefrontal cortex, the motor sensory cortex, the hippocampus, the cerebellum. This is groundbreaking for healthcare. So now back to your question of what chiropractic treats. Legally, chiropractic treats subluxation or neurological dysfunction. That's the legal definition. If you walk down that path a few more steps, you will realize that every illness and disease process exists because of dysfunction in the central nervous system. There is no way to have a disease like cancer or diabetes or MS, or even an infection without the central nervous system becoming dysfunctional first. Does that make sense? This is exciting. And, you know, Javier Figueroa is PhD in neurobiology, and he's nodding his head like crazy. I'm loving to see that. 
um, that his world of science and exploration, and he's an expert on HBOT. He sat on the um, international uh, board of HBOT uh, folks there for a while. So I love this marriage of this um, holistic healing approach with, you know, the scientist here. So you make me um, think about you know what? Another aspect that I'm working on here in Tennessee, we with the the Washington uh, Washington. We do have a Washington chapter of Children's Health Defense now, yay! But um, the Tennessee chapter of Children's Health Defense, we're working on something we're calling disarm pharma, um, having to do with the overprescription of black box warning pharmaceutical drugs, and we're talking about drugs giving to children as young as three, and on up that can lead to really. Um, dangerous um, behaviors and outcomes. Um, there's there's the issues that they the um, the children and the adults were originally prescribed for. Let's say depression, anxiety, um, ADHD, different things like that. And then there's also the issues of people trying to deprescribe, and they end up with a lot of physical and neurological symptoms trying to get off of these drugs. I guess what I'm asking you is, rather than prescribing the drugs, how does chiropractic help with the issues that are usually targeted by drugs, the depression, anxiety, that sort of thing? Great question. You need to get to the root cause of the issue. Uh, research has shown us that one diagnosis of depression is not the same as another diagnosis of depression. We can do spec exams and see that it's a completely different part of the brain that's being affected. At Averio Health Institute, we test, not guess. So when a patient shows up, irregardless of what severity, chronicity, acuteness of a diagnosis that they show up with, we are going to do objective tests to find out where the body has broken down. One of our primary tests is using analyzed digital x-rays. There will always be damage in the spine by the sheer fact that the brain stem is inside the first bone of the spine and the rest of the spinal cord is inside the spine. If the central nervous system becomes significantly disrupted to the point of disease, you will always see it on an analyzed x-ray. So we're always looking at analyzed x-rays. The two other areas that we look uh, quite a lot into is an intracellular micronutrient panel to look at cellular deficiencies. A standardized micronutrient panel, if you're lucky to get that run with your GP, doesn't show you if there's deficiencies inside the white blood cell or the red blood cell. That can be a very critical piece. The last piece, which is being overlooked terribly, uh, is toxicity. Mm. You would not believe the extent of severity of toxicity we are seeing in all patients, including two, three, and four-year-old children. Mm. Uh, these toxicities do cross the placental barrier. If mom's central nervous system is not healthy at time of gestation, you can get a huge dumping of these toxins into a child's nervous system that is not myelinated. It is not protected in any way. A lot of these anxiety and depression cases in kids uh, autism, anxiety, uh, ADHD, the behavioral things, it's no more complicated than finding where the cervical spine has been damaged and where the toxicities are and helping to fix those two issues. Sometimes there's other things, but the majority of people would find a reversal 
of their symptomology and their and their diagnosis if they could play in that playground. I I never thought of it that way. I mean, what you're saying makes so much sense. I tend to, you know, I like I when I think of a toxin, I think of something, you know, like a molecule, a, a poison that would need to be detoxed through the liver and kidneys, which of course, you know, that's part of it too. It it never occurred to me that the toxins would create some sort of blockage in that electrical pathways. Mm-hmm. And once you set those straight, it's is it like is is it like your your ability to heal has is has been shut down and what you do is like restart it by correct getting it so if we looked at regeneration cycles every tissue to the best of our knowledge has a regeneration cycle some of these are incredibly quickly so small intestine your entire small intestine all 25 ish feet of it if the central nervous system is working correctly that regenerates within four to five days. Are you kidding me? I am not kidding. Go Holy Google moly. it. Even Google hasn't been censored enough to take <laughs> that information off yet. Wow, that's okay. fantastic. The body, nature wants to live. It's exciting. Wow. So wow. we understand we have this medical precedence that you know the epithelial tissues of the small intestine regenerate in four to five days. But if you Google searched right now how many people are suffering in this country with some sort of small intestine disease, you will find a number somewhere between 12 and 15 million based on which source you listen to. We have to ask the question, why, why do we have an organ that regenerates so darn quickly and yet so many people with diseases that take longer than four to five days for it to develop? Wow. This is where the breakdown happens in neurological communication. And this is the work that only chiropractic can fix. There is no nutritional thing. There is no stretch. There is no meditation that will restore a damaged neurological pathway between the brain and an end organ tissue. Good heavens. This is really exciting. Uh, One more question. And then I want you to talk about the big event happening on the 22nd, because by gum, it's exciting what's happening in Washington state of all places. Um, So, and this is, I guess, a little bit greedy of me. I want to know, have you ever helped anybody get through uh, withdrawal from some of these drugs that have uh, really um, bad side effects in the withdrawal stage as you're trying to leave them. Can chiropractic help with that as well? 100%. Chiropractic care can help a lot with withdrawal. It can even help with addiction. Now, that is not the same as me saying we treat addiction. Mm -hmm. But by the nature of the fact that chiropractic adjustments, specifically to the cervical spine, the neck area, can reestablish connections in the prefrontal cortex. Scientific literature is pretty clear that the prefrontal cortex is what's damaged that's causing people to not be able to get off of drugs, whether you're talking pharmaceutical drugs or street drugs, it's the prefrontal cortex. Chiropractic care can reestablish normal function in that area. The tricky part is, here's the really, really tricky part, and one of the reasons that the Institute exists, it's hard to get people enough adjustments with as damaged as most people are these days. Uh, We have more emotional damage, more toxicology damage, more physical damage. It is unprecedented. Then you start throwing things in like 
things that are messing with genetic function. Mm -hmm. People are walking around with more loose screws than tight ones. <laughs> right? Yes. So yeah. 10 years ago, Dr. Martin, who's my father, he came up with the idea of concentrating care, figuring out when people, especially when people are traveling, we have lots of people who come in internationally, come in from other states. When people are in hot water, when their body is breaking down so quickly, how do you get them enough care? And that was the whole premise of Avera Health Institute. How could you compress six months or nine months worth of care into a five-day moment? And how would the body respond if given that level of stimulation? Mm. At this point in time, we're seeing really, really interesting results. We're seeing things that up until this point probably were kind of considered not possible medically things like abdominal aortic stenosis reversing in mid 70 year olds um, we're seeing things like completely fused bones getting disc material in between them uh, we're seeing things like kidneys at three percent function come back to normal function there's weird things that are happening that are happening only because we are removing the interference in the body and allowing the body to go through its normal regeneration cycles. I want to just reach right through this screen and hug you, Dr. Sarah. <laughs> this is Dr. Sarah Kotlerman at Averio Health. And so the good news is, I mean, not good, this is all good news. The exciting news moving forward is more people are going to learn from you, from others, how to do this. Tell us about the... Um, what's coming and and the event on the 22nd to raise funds so for the first time in 80 years we are bringing a chiropractic college back to washington state i know so exciting we need a college here in washington state and we are going about the educational process in a unique way, which I'll get to in a minute. But the event we have later, uh, actually in a week and a day, oh my goodness, time is flying. Uh, we are doing a world record 5K for chiropractic education at the Arlington Airport. Uh, it is a fun run and before the run at 9.30 a.m., we are going to be building the world's largest cardboard spine. I actually had a group of prospective students and docs at my office here a week ago with about 45 banana boxes donated by Fred Meyer, and we were ripping the banana boxes up and making full body spinal costumes, and we're going to have 24 full body cardboard costumes and we are attempting to get the guinness world record for the largest cardboard costume there is a current record it's about five meters by two meters by two meters i think it's probably one person in that costume we're gonna try and put 24 and <laughs> nervous system we're gonna have yellow crinkly cardboard connecting every single one of the vertebrates because you cannot talk about the spine without talking about the central nervous system. This is really exciting. So if anybody wants to attend, it is July 22nd um, at the Arlington Municipal Airport. At, uh, festivities start at 9 a.m. This is in Washington State. Um, so if you can get there, it looks great. And this is a fundraiser, right? Be in order to fund what? 
we're, every dollar is going to the college. To there the college. are a tremendous amount of costs in starting a college, accreditation, all of the different pieces. And this is about community awareness and, and creating the financial opportunity so that there's no limitations to opening this college. That is so exciting. Um, I, you know, only in the past four or five years did I begin to understand what chiropractic is. And every time I talk to a chiropractor, I learn something new. I've learned a lot new from you. And it just can, it continues to just like kind of boggle me that why aren't we all having a chiropractor in our, our little cornucopia of wellness? <laughs> it feels like it needs to be right. That's um, an excellent question. And the answer isn't a hard one. Yeah. The largest um, mistrial that has ever been done was against chiropractic. I mean, look at how people's opinions have changed and how people's definitions of immunity have changed because of, of false marketing in the last three years. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine if that went on for 15 years. Imagine how backward your idea about chiropractic would be if you had to live through a 15 year slanderous marketing campaign. Mm. That's what happened during the Wilkes trial. We're still in the post trying to regain public understanding from that whole episode that happened back in the 80s. T tell us, I'm not familiar with that. I know that there were some bad things that happened, but I I don't know the details. Is there, can you sum that up briefly? I think we've got like about, um, we're getting down to the, like the last four minutes. So I would direct everybody to watching Doctored. It doctors a documentary that was put out okay. exactly on this. Okay. But the short summary is that there was a campaign by the American Medical Association. This is not a conspiracy. This is well documented in over 250,000 pieces of paper. Wow. And it went to the federal Supreme Court, but there was a campaign for the extermination of chiropractic. One of the reasons that we reached out to uh, Inform Choice Washington was that chiropractic, even though it's not well understood by the general person, we are the only non-pharmaceutical primary care provider in the United States. We have held the line since 1925 when we were offered pharmaceutical rights for the first time. And we continue to hold the line, not because we hate pharmaceuticals or we hate drugs or anything like that. We hold the line because we believe that people should have the right to pursue health care without pharmaceutical drugs. Mm -hmm. There's a whole ethos of, of genuine understanding and focus that can happen when you're focusing on your body's innate intelligence and central mm -hmm. nervous system instead of how a chemical can get you out of hot water. Yeah. Uh, so that's what happened. It was a 15 year campaign before it was rooted out by the Supreme Court. And that is the reason why most people say they don't know much about chiropractic unless they've talked to a chiropractor. The profession was irreversibly damaged in that. And we're building back from that. That doesn't mean the chiropractic isn't awesome. And that's why we're trying to get a school up because mm -hmm. there will be moments like what we just went through in our near future. Mm -hmm. There will be more moments. And the group of us who are putting the school up believe that we need strong leadership within healthcare. We yes. need extremely strong doctors 
who are strong on multiple different levels. And that's what we're hoping to accomplish with this endeavor in Washington State. Javier, last words here before we just, have to say goodbye. Just a couple of quick questions. So are chiropractors, are you under insurance or is this self-paid by, by, most, by most people? I believe chiropractic is covered by every third party. At Avera Health Institute, we do not take third party insurance, but that has nothing to do with us being chiropractors. Right. That has to do with the fact that we're doing 80 to 100 procedures in a day. And third party insurance is not going to pay for that. No. That's not no. what they do. No, and I'm yeah. glad to hear that there's actually uh, uh, healers and physicians out there that are actually uh, limiting their contact with third-party payers and actually supporting themselves and their patients uh, independent of, of these institutions, which is fantastic to hear. Yeah, yeah well, Dr. Sarah Kotlerman, I, it's such an honor and pleasure to have met you, know you, and hear you. You are so well spoken on this subject. I would like to maybe bring you on and give you like at least 10, 15 minutes regularly to update us. So you remind us on a regular basis of why we need to explore chiropractic care as part of our wellness routine. So, um, and when we have, you know, big health issues. Uh, thank you so much for coming on everybody, you know, check it out, uh, A-V-E-R-I-O health and go to that 5k run and let's get chiropractic strong in the state of Washington. Um, we're going to, um, take a, a break here for just a minute. When we come back, we're going to be talking about regenerative farming with a wonderful farmer here in Tennessee. We'll be back in just a minute. Hi, I'm Brian Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PGI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PGI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit PJI. Org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Oh, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Hey, everybody, we are back. I'm not used to splitting up that 
that second hour and I'm just goofing off here looking things up. Anyway, welcome back to Reform Life Radio. And I'm here with Javier Figueroa. I just, the show today, our guests have been so exciting. Um, and our next one, you know, we're again going to have an uplifting interview. Uh, we're bringing on Elizabeth Stewart. Elizabeth is in the middle part of this great state of Tennessee where I am at a place called Crossing Creeks Farm that I haven't had the honor of visiting, but I get to visit on July 22nd. It's a regenerative farm. Um, so Elizabeth, welcome to an Informed Life Radio. Thank you so much for having us on. This is yeah. exciting. Um, my friend Patrice and others went out to check out your, your farm and your venue for our event coming up. And I tell you, they fell in love. They were so eager. Bernadette, you got to see this place. It's amazing. You know, um, when you find kindred spirits and people live in the life that, you know, feeds your soul, um, it's pretty, yeah, yeah, it's exciting. So, um, on also on July 22nd, but it's not competing with the Washington event because this is in Tennessee. We are, um, uh, Catherine Austin Fitz will be at, at your place at Crossing Creeks Farm. It's sold out though. I have to let people know that the event has sold out. So I'm sorry, you can't get tickets. It has, yeah. however, I, I literally just got word before we came on that there is a possible second event with Catherine on the following day, Sunday. Um, oh because we've sold out so quickly. So, which okay. it's a free event, so it's not, it's not, we, but we, we have to limit the volume of, of people and cars and everything we have up here. Um, okay. So we're, we're working on getting that news out and confirming the time, but it looks like we're going to have a second one with Catherine. And who, um, if this, who should they contact um, in order to get that information? Yeah, they can absolutely reach out to the farm if they have any questions, all of our contact information is on our website, which is www.crossingcreeks.com. Mm -hmm. uh, and they can find our contact information. They can shoot us an email, then give us a call. Um, and we will hopefully have that confirmation by the end of tonight. That would be wonderful. Um, and we're kind of putting the cart before the horse here, but that's okay. So the event that's Saturday, the 22nd, is kind of a combined thing. It's at your wonderful venue. Catherine Austin Fitz is speaking. But Children's Health Defense Tennessee Chapter is going to be talking a little bit about our work, uh, what we're doing, and about the Reform Pharma campaign. Um, and then you are going to be talking about regenerative classes that you're going to be teaching at your place, correct? Yeah. So this is a, a new launch for us. We literally just launched a couple of weeks ago. This has been a passion of ours for a while, and it's really exciting to see it coming forth. Um, but we've, we've formed a nonprofit here on the farm that is going to be dedicated to us digging in deeper into sharing regenerative farming practices with holistic management, as well as life skill classes, workshops for our entire community of all ages. Um, I won't solely be teaching all of the classes, but we do have an amazing educator. My husband and I will be a part of teaching some of the, the parts, especially those that involve the animals. Um, and so we're launching with our very first homeschool series, actually, this Ooh. fall that homeschoolers are going to get to come out every Wednesday for a six-week series for about three hours, and they're going to get to learn 
some super cool things. Um, so they're going to be part of our sweet potato harvest. They're going to be part of prepping swarm traps because we catch wild feral bees here. Um, so they're going to learn about catching wild bees and why and why we don't buy store-bought bees. Um, as well as getting to be a part of learning about all of our pollinators here and why that's important in farming. And they're going to be part of our um, hands-on, really actually getting to experience the animals um, firsthand. And so that's kind of our first launch. So we really want to do a lot of kids stuff so that we are really getting our hands on that next generation and educating them before they become their own consumer in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, and really teaching them about that. And then, but we also will be doing a lot of adult things as well. Um, so yeah, it's just at the beginning stages, um, but it, it's it's really exciting. This is exciting. So, I'm gonna pull up a little bit like this, the pictures of your, um, of your family there. So let's, let's back up a bit. We, like I said, we put the cart before the horse. Let's, sure. let's go back and, and, um, and talk about how you got into this. Have you always lived on a farm? No, no, we haven't. I didn't grow up on a farm. Um, neither did my parents. So my parents live here on the farm with my husband and I and our two sons, uh, Noah and Caleb. And um, probably a, a, about 15, 20 years ago, my parents were beginning to dig into their own health and getting past that middle age of life and going, why is everybody in our age group aging on prescriptions. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and their prescriptions were adding up and they just began to ask the question why. And actually, of course, per the doctors, uh, being a vegetarian was what was, um, suggested. So <laughs> we kind of all went down that road. Everyone got sicker. Everyone got on more prescriptions. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people thrive on a vegetarian diet. We were not. Um, and so we realized that we needed protein. But the question was, is, well, what's wrong with red meat? We as a human race have survived off of red meat for centuries. How come all of a sudden this is no longer healthy for me? And that led us into researching how beef is being produced in this country for about the last 70 to 100 years and that those changes have caused a lot of health problems. Mm -hmm. So it started for beef with us. We couldn't find it at that point in time locally, 100% grass fed from start to finish. And so we were like, we'll just do it ourselves. <laughs> Wow. Uh, kind of a big undertaking that we didn't really realize. Um, I My background is agriculture and my husband's background is we're both out of the horse industry. Mm. Uh, and so we do have agriculture experience. And my major yeah. is, an, is agriculture business. And Elizabeth, I just have to pause a moment here yeah. and say I'm scrolling through the images here for the radio audience. And, and she's listing things about type of beef they have. And there's it says organic feed. And it's a picture of a dog looking at some baby chicks. I'm like, organic feed? I mean, you can't get much more organic than that, but I don't know that that's what you intended. <laughs> Somebody with a sense of humor making your website. <laughs> that was me. I thought it was cute. So, Oh, it is cute, but yeah, okay. <laughs> For sure. Um, so, yeah, that's just, it, it's really started 
it really started to feed ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, for us, we, we dove right into to being beef. And then from there, it's grown to, well, now we don't want to eat chicken because we know too much. And we don't want to eat pork because we know too much. So we might as well do this ourselves. And then family and friends figured out we had it. And before we knew it, we looked up and we were selling meat out of our carport. <laughs> we said, maybe we should, maybe we should, we should take this a little further. And so this is, I'm sitting in our farm store right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we sell direct to the consumer through our store and uh, there's an online shop that they can shop there as well. Yeah. And when you said you didn't want to eat chicken because you knew too much and you didn't want to eat pork, you meant store-bought. I meant because, store-bought. Because you are raising um, all of that. And I do see behind you some wonderful looking products in that refrigerator case. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got, um, there's a, like a service window, a kitchen window where you can go buy breakfast or lunch. Is it what, what are the hours and what sort of food do you have available? Yeah. So our commercial kitchen trailer has been our newest addition in the last probably year and a half or so. Um, that just continued to grow as we're food snobs, we're foodies, we love food. There's nowhere great to eat that has good quality and our customers are the same way. Um, They come in here already, usually almost always pretty educated and are seeking a better meat or an eggs for their family. Mm -hmm. And so the passion came to feed us. And so our kitchen window is open during our store hours. um, And that's posted on our website. Um, We, have just kind of seasonal menus that are really light, just a fresh salad with lettuce that was handpicked and grown organically five miles down the road. Mm-hmm. Our eggs and meats, we do these fun waffle toasts. We make the waffles here. We do a lot of gluten-free, grain-free options. Uh, we use einkorn, which is an ancient grain. Mm. Um, and we do smoothies and lattes and things like that. They're all organic. Uh, no preservatives or dyes is kind of our goal there. Um, and then we do special events. So we have like, we call them farm foodie days. We just had one last Saturday. We did a special, we smoked barbecue and did a whole plate. And it was really fun. And we have our first farm to table dinner this year in September. The end of September is going to be really lovely. We have private chefs coming to help us with that. So, yeah. Wow. So what you see it's you make it sound so easy. You're just <laughs> relaxed. You've got this beautiful store behind you. Oh, we opened a kitchen. You know, if you're going to be like, if you want to give advice to somebody, because a lot of people are thinking, I don't like the way I'm living and I want to make big changes, not only just with my diet, but maybe even my career. And I want to do what you're doing. Um, You know, what do you think is the secret to your success to, you know, um, God's divine. Put you on. Oh, yeah, there we go. Pray. Um, um, we were incredibly blessed in that this was this was two family incomes coming together to do this. So my parents and my husband and I, mm. and we continue to put everything we have into this to make it um, sustainable, to make it continuing to go and serve our community the best way possible. Um, and I think that's kind of the heart of this new project with the nonprofit is is helping those that have an interest to grow their own food. Um, not not everyone can be a cattle and, and pork farmer. That requires larger land, more infrastructure, more equipment, trucks, trailers, 
Um, but you can start with some laying hens or ducks or raise your own turkeys or meat birds garden. Um, and so that's kind of the, the passion behind those classes to help people get there. If they actually become a full farmer, then that's amazing. Um, but the cost in this current day to, to start a farm is astronomical. Mm-hmm. You didn't inherit land, um, or you're not just already wealthy. It's just incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it hasn't been an easy pull for us either. It, it's been a, it's been a lot. So, um, we've just chosen to live our personal lives incredibly simple yeah. in order to put our profit back into our, our farm and our business and to our community. So it's a little, it's a little challenging. And then we chose to do regenerative farming, which, um, it's just polar opposite of the meats that you're, that you're going to be getting at the grocery store. And give us some, um, say we're doing it time. Give us some, um, insights into the regenerative farming process. Yeah. So our focus is actually not our end product. That's not our first focus. Our first focus is what's happening below the soil surface. So regenerative means that we are actually working to regenerate life starting below the surface. So we want to create an environment down there that is full of soil microbes and earthworms thriving and grassroots taking deep roots, um, creating water retention in a drought. Um, Then from there, it's going to naturally create a healthy system for our livestock to thrive and have strong immune systems. Um, we hear if, so if it's cattle, we're doing hundred percent grass fed, grass fed started and finished. Um, here they're also being bred and born here. Um, mm-hmm. we're not just the finisher. We're also the, what's called cow calf operation. Um, that limits how much we can actually produce. But for us, we wanted to be able to control from the ground up mainly because, and this isn't something we super publicize because of the things that are currently going around the world with vaccinations, but Mm -hmm. we do not vaccinate any of our animal and never have. Amen. Is it is happening even in regenerative farmers, pasture raised, Mm non-GMO that Mm -hmm. it's it's just across the board. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to create the most pure meat for ourselves. And so that's how that started. We also feel like if, if we want to give them the most support in creating their own immune system to be able to, to fight off things naturally and be sustainable, whether or not that cattle vaccination is available. Um, and so, so it's, it's really starting with the soil first and how we benefit the soil is in how we, um, rotate our animals. So our, we're doing intensive rotational grazing. Our cattle are, are being moved every 24 hours to a new like little slice of grass is what we say. Um, our poultry are getting moved two to three times a day. Um, our pigs are also getting moved into rotation constantly. And so that's all about getting their waste onto the land in a particular area um, and then getting away from it so okay. that they are parasite resistant. So therefore we're not using conventional dewormers and we haven't in over a decade. Um, We're building that also in our genetics. 
of our, all of our animals. And so they're becoming resistant to all of that. And the goal is, is that when they come back to that slice of, of grass, it's been six to eight weeks. So the sun, the rain has sanitized the land. The parasite cycle has died off and um, they're now eating fresh grass that's had time to come back up and regenerate itself. So that's kind of a small little, I could talk that all day long. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's common sense. And, and if you don't create diseased conditions, you don't have diseased animals and you don't even get to use our favorite ivermectin because you're, your cattle don't need it. <laughs> no, need it. They need it. Um, yeah, they, they're, they're doing well on their own. They just don't need it. We do other things. Um, if, if they're in need of something, we've found other ways to do things holistically mm-hmm. um, with them, whether that's kelp, which is a great source of iodine, uh, mm. Redmond salt. Uh, mm-hmm. They get a little bit of minerals and that's it for our cattle um, or anything that is an omnivore. So pigs and poultry, they can't survive on grass alone. Um, so they are getting a organic feed, but it is soy and corn free, which is really big for us and our clientele. Oh, that's good. Because some of the soy and corn is all GMO. It's, I don't think you could afford to feed them non-GMO. Um, well, the organic is more expensive than the non-GMO. Right, right. You can get non-GMO soy and corn feed, um, and a lot of pasteurized, pasture-raised farmers use that. Um, for us, it just has to do with the negative effects that are going to be happening in the animal's body from yeah. having that much um, in them. And so we yeah. want a more diverse, complete feed with full minerals and vitamins and things for them. Yeah, uh, decades ago when I was getting my degree, well, two decades ago, because it was just before my son was born, I did a research paper on the difference between grass-finished beef and the nutrition profile. Mm-hmm. And the grains just destroyed, they, they it gave them indigestion, basically, yeah. destroyed the good microbes, let the bad ones flourish, mm-hmm. and it depleted all the omegas, all the good omega fats in the meat. It's like it's a completely different animal. Mm-hmm. I mean, then for the FDA and, and other entities go out there and say, you know, red beef isn't good for you. Well, not if it's grown like that, but it's grown like this. It's as good as salmon. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. It's, right. It's yeah. so good for you. And, um, you know, it, we don't have to have an abundance of it. It's no. moderation um, because it, it is it does cost more because it costs us more to produce it. We have a two year investment to get beef to your table. Wow. Um, the industry does it in nine months. Ooh. Same weight. Yeah. Same yeah. weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, nine to 10 months, they're finishing those animals. That is so at fast. Ni- at nine to 10 months, our calves are just getting weaned off their mothers. Wow. So you what? think of the health in that animal. Oh, absolutely. So it's it's, uh, it's slow growth. Everything's slower. Everything takes us longer to get to finish. We still have this amazing, beautiful product that tastes outstanding. And it, mm-hmm. But it's pound for pound, ounce for ounce, it's more nutrient dense. So you're actually getting more bang for your buck as far as actually feeding your body. Yeah. And then the bones are healthy too. So you can make those nutritious broths, the bone broths and everything that you don't have to be afraid of the toxins in there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I was thinking the other day, walking on our property here in East Tennessee and um, I don't know what's make me think of this. I think they're talking about chickens and it's like, I don't want to have to butcher a chicken. And, and I had said, 
kind of as a joke, if I had to butcher my own chicken, I would be a vegetarian. Cause, but then I started thinking, well, really would I? And I'm looking around at nature thinking if, if I had to hunt, I would, it would be such an emotional thing. And yet I would be appreciative of that animal that gave its life to me. I would want it to have had this happy life. I would have this gratitude. I would not have to remember to say grace before consuming this animal because I would be full of the, the thoughts of grace in my heart and appreciation for this animal, right? And the disconnect we have between going to the supermarket and picking up a package that's in styrofoam and plastic, there, the, the disconnect, right? And so consuming an animal when you know where it's, it's raised and it's been in a loving, wonderful, wholesome environment restores, I think, in many ways, that whole spiritual connection with our food, yeah. you know, um, and that appreciation, which is makes you healthier as you take it in. So it's, Absolutely. yeah. Our boys are very much like, clean plate. They, they clean their plates because they're like, we work so hard for that. And not going to waste it. <laughs> and it's amazing to hear that um, from our customers too. Like, you know, sometimes things happen and you didn't see that thawed piece, you know, pack of ground beef in the back of your fridge until you realized it was too spoiled. And they will literally call me crying and they're like, I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's, that just makes it, even though they're not farming, our, we have the best customer base uh, and they're truly are friends of ours and community. yeah and they truly are appreciative of what we do and, yes. and that makes our our long days and and nights uh worth it yeah absolutely had a quick question for you remember that the solari series put out a basically an educational package for some of the uh legal hurdles that independent farmers and people that you know butcher their own animals have and just wanted to get your perspective living in tennessee being in part of that community you know what were some of your struggles what you had to do if you had to do anything to overcome those legal hurdles so we're all still always overcoming legal hurdles. <laughs> um so to clarify we don't butcher on on site um, and that's because in order to sell in our store we have to have the usda approved stamp so we have to go to a butcher that has that. So there's very few of those in the state of Tennessee. It actually just across the country in general. It's a it's a huge dilemma. Um, and so there's a difference between a custom butcher and a USDA one. So we used to do our chickens here. We can do that through an exemption in the state of Tennessee. Uh, we grew we outgrew ourselves and our facility for our customer base. And so we, we are utilizing a family owned and operated USDA butcher, actually two of them that are fairly close and we're blessed that they're so close to us and they are amazing. Uh, long-term, we would love to have like a micro butchery here where we could handle that. Um, and we're trying to work through the state and skip the feds. Um, <laughs> what, wasn't there a bill passed last session having to do with butchering meat in the state of Tennessee? I, I believe Senator Nicely was talking about that. There's some things still going on and, mm -hmm. and, and happening with that. And I haven't gotten the confirmation of exactly what that's going to entail. Okay. Uh, what I know part of what they're trying to do is when you have a, an animal custom butchered, at a butcher facility, which is not run under the USDA um, stamp, 
is that it can now cross state lines. So it couldn't cross state lines before. Mm. Um, that was a big deal. And so that's where, like, if you're a farmer, we sell by the cut, like the grocery store, so that we can serve all of our customers. Um, but if you're selling your meats by halves or holes uh, or quarters, you are going to run that through a custom butcher because that's probably all you can find mm-hmm. um, in your area. And so you can't serve, technically you can't serve somebody that meat that's, that's not in your state. So, mm-hmm. the so I know that's something that there's going on there with that. Um, but it's still, you know, to have a USDA facility built several million dollars. So it's not like a small independent farmer can, can have their own facility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's just not doable. It's, it's quite crazy when you, look at all of it. Yeah. Well, the good news is, is there's a lot of people in the state of Tennessee and more coming every day who appreciate what you're doing. And, um, you know, so maybe there'll be enough political will to really make some really good laws to make um, what you do easier, more accessible, of course, completely safe, but Mm -hmm. the ridiculous red tape that has grown. So, um, it's, it's definitely yeah. in favor of yeah of large corporation production. It's it's not in favor of the small independent farmer. Yeah, exactly. Let's see how we doing on time. We're getting uh, close to the end. Just a, a couple of minutes. So, on again on Saturday um, on July twenty second, we've got the event. Um, I don't. I should pull that up to see what time's it starting. Now, what time does your farm open? If somebody wants to come early before the event and get themselves something to eat, what time do you open up? And what time's that kitchen yeah, open up? Absolutely. So we're going to open up at nine o'clock Saturday morning. I believe Catherine's event starts at ten. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll be serving all of our regular menu, uh, plus some extra um, muffins, I think, and maybe some ham and cheese biscuits, uh, some different things like that, some lattes, iced and hot lattes and, and smoothies and things like that. So, yes, you can come as early as nine. Uh, it starts at 10. And then we're going to get a confirmation on what t- what time on the next day, Sunday, for a backup uh, like overflow event would, would be. Okay, great. And again, your website is um, crossingcreeksfarm.com? Just crossingcreeks.com. Crossingcreeks.com. Check it out. And you can use, is there a contact tab there? there? Yep, down at the bottom, there's a contact tab. And under our visit page, you can learn more about our nonprofit, which is called The Bridge at Crossing Creeks. You can also Mm -hmm. donate, and we really need donations as we are starting up. And we really need help. Sorry for that shameless plug, but we really need help uh, that want to see regenerative farming become more as accessible to others. We we are happy to plug away because one of the great things about this radio show, Javier and I I just love to, you know, it's about information to, to this is an informed life radio and you need information you need education so but to get the good education outside of the corporate system that doesn't want the little guy to survive so the last half hour it's all about building chiropractic uh college in the state of washington we got to fund that um fund this great education happening in the state of tennessee with the crossing creeks farm that's very exciting so um elizabeth i look forward to meeting you in person in another week 
Um, so we're so grateful that you came on uh, the show today. Javier, any last question? Looks like we got one minute. Uh, no, I'm just uh, I'm both uh, jealous and excited for you, for you being in Tennessee and uh, being around all these folks that are, you know, uh, talking the talk and walking the walk and, yes. uh, you know, build, building this, this alternative or parallel economy uh, with everything that they're doing, which is, you know, always good to see. Yeah, well, you're welcome to come join us, Javier. And I'm a little jealous of those people up there in um, in uh, the northern part of Washington State. You've got the wonderful uh, Dr. Sarah. She is fabulous. So I guess it's a love fest all the way around. We're making it work. We're winning this revolution one person at a time. Follow your dream. Surround yourself with people who believe in your dream. Oh, and we got to go. So, all righty. Thank you, Elizabeth. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We will see you next week.